My friends in Christ, do you sometimes wish you were there for that explanation in private? I know I do. It would make preaching a lot easier. One of the real joys of my life, after having served here for so many years, is seeing couples whose weddings I celebrated and whose babies I baptized, and who then moved away from the area, return to the cathedral years later for a visit, this time with their high school or college kids in tow. I find myself telling them, you've got a lot to show for those years. That thought came to mind when I reflected on today's readings from the prophet Ezekiel and from Mark's gospel. Both readings speak about planting and growing and bearing fruit. The role we play in bringing this about, but more importantly, the role that God plays. Our role is not inconsequential, but God's role is what really counts. We get to do the planting, but God gives the growth. And it's a wonder to behold. A little like those kids who, when I last saw them, were squirming and screaming at the baptismal font, and who a few years later present as pretty respectable teenagers or young adults. A wonder to behold. We witness this wonder regularly, don't we? Our children grow up before our eyes, even if we don't really see it until after it has happened. So many parents have told me that. In the two little parables from Mark's gospel, Jesus talks about the unfolding of the kingdom in just those terms. The kingdom, he says, is like a farmer who sows seed in his field, then goes about his life, eating and working and sleeping each day. All the while, the seed is sprouting and growing. He knows not how, as Jesus puts it. First the blade, then the ear, then the full-blown grain in the ear. Almost before the farmer knows it, it's harvest time. The parable of the mustard seed gives us a little different look at this wonderful mystery of growth. Here the issue is not slow, imperceptible growth, yet steady, though it be. Here is Here it's the wonder that there is any growth at all. The mustard seed is the perfect way for Jesus to make this point because, as he says, it's the smallest of all seeds, so small that it would seem to have no promise at all. Yet from tiny beginnings comes a tree with lots of leaves, big enough for birds to find shade and make nests. Do you have any idea just how small a mustard seed is. I've shared with you before how I once held a little mound of mustard seed in my hand. They were put there by a Franciscan friar at the monastery high on top of Mount Tabor in Galilee, which is the traditional site of the transfiguration of Christ. As we walked together around the grounds, the friar reached up into a tree and pulled down a seed pod, opened it, and then poured what looked like very fine powder into my hand. He then looked at me with a certain delight in his eyes and said in his broken English, mustard seeds. Well, if I had sneezed, those seeds would have disappeared into thin air. That's how tiny mustard seeds are. And yet, over time, they become trees with strong branches 
and lovely foliage. Small beginnings, impressive results. That's the story of God's kingdom. It's also the story of Jesus, if you think of it. Do you suppose that sometimes Jesus saw himself as a mustard seed, especially on those days when he felt inadequate for the great mission that was his, days when he felt very small before an overwhelming task? And did he feel the same way when he realized how unpromising were those 12 to whom he was entrusting the preaching of his gospel? That ragtag band of clumsy, unlettered fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, full of questions, full of doubts, dull and so very slow to get the picture. Most of them were cowards too. And one, of course, turned traitor. Mustard seeds each one of them. And of course, Jesus' death made him the ultimate mustard seed. But look what happened to that seed after it died and was buried in the ground. My friends, this is the story of God's kingdom, a story that has been repeated down through the ages and continues into our own. Small beginnings, unimpressive beginnings, but anything but unimpressive results. Think, for instance, of the tongue-tied Moses. Think of King David, young and lustful. Think of Jeremiah, young and fearful. Think of Mary, the young maiden of Nazareth, or of Peter the fisherman. Think of Francis of Assisi, the romantic radical dreamer, or of Therese, the little flower with her little way. Think of Matt Talbot, the reformed alcoholic, or Solanus Casey, the humble doorkeeper. Think of Mother Teresa, who, to use her words, did small things with great love. Each of those unlikely stalwarts in faith prove that the kingdom is God's kingdom, not ours, and that no matter how unpromising our efforts to build it, God can make it work. This is a message that workaholics and perfectionists like me find it hard to accept. We are quite sure that we are in charge and that success ultimately depends on us. Happily, it doesn't. St. John XXIII, the Pope who called the Second Vatican Council, knew only too well how painfully difficult it was to bring about change and growth in the Church he could well have given in to pessimism and gloom, but he didn't. He knew the parable of the mustard seed, knew the history of the church, both good and bad, knew how much God could accomplish with very little. And so he never lost hope. In calling the council, he refused to let the naysayers and the prophets of doom have the last word, however hard they tried, and they did. And when he would come to the end of a day with a mountain of unsolved problems on his desk and on his mind, with a prayer on his lips, he would turn off the light and say, it's your church, Lord. I'm going to sleep. My friends, may the Eucharist we now celebrate keep that kind of hope alive in us.